Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for the opportunity to open the word and to study. We ask you to guide and lead us as we examine these verses. And we just thank you in your son's name. Amen. Psalm 119, starting at verse 137. Righteous are you, O Lord, and upright are your judgments. Your testimonies that you have commanded are righteous and faithful, are very faithful. My zeal hath consumed me because my enemies have forgotten your words. Your word is very pure, therefore your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet do I not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is as is an everlasting righteousness, and your law is the truth. Trouble and anguish have taken hold on me, yet your commandments are my delights. The righteousness of your testimony is everlasting. Give me understanding, and I will live. So we're going to look at this. This is uh, the letter Zadi, you said it was? And it has the idea on it of somebody on their man laying on their side or desire or need for that word. And we see that format in these verses of the need that that David is talking about. Righteous are you, O Lord, and upright are your judgments. And I like how David keeps talking about God's characteristics all through this. Not just this book. The one thing about this chapter is it is literally a song about the word of word of God and, and, and God's testimonies and everything. But all through it, David puts these attributes of God. Righteous are you, God. He refers to God as righteous a lot. Yes. Yep. Because he understands that God is righteous, he is true, and it's good that God is righteous because he holds to his laws and his rules. If he wasn't, if he was an unrighteous God, we'd be in trouble. Yeah, I would be for sure. Well, everybody would be in trouble because then we'd have the gods of the Romans and the Greeks and the, the and yeah, you'd once you displease them, they they punish you for no real reason. It's just you made them mad. They don't love you. Well, not just that, but you just made them mad. You know, whether it's Greek or Roman or the Norse gods or just about every god out there. Because what is the false gods always out there? They're amplified humans. And, you know, this is the thing that you see when you look at all the different gods that are out there outside of the God of the Bible. You see gods that are vindictive. They're just strong humans. They're just like humans. They fall in love. They they are greedy. They're they're vicious. Yeah, and that's what that's what man does when he creates an idol. He takes something about man and amplifies it. Uh, for fertility gods and goddesses, when you'd see them, they're just exaggerated, you know, uh, sexualized uh, beings that demand sex, you know, and you, and you look at this and you see this all through the different gods. The gods that are all about approbation lust or power, you know, that was what everything was about. And so David is really emphasizing, God, you're righteous. You are righteous. You are pure. You are holy. You know, this is why it's important for us to understand the attributes of God when we look at God. What is the world's biggest attribute of God they want? God is love. And because he's loving, he won't punish anybody. 
You know, well, no, you better get the rest of God's attributes in there. He's righteous, he's just, he's holy. And because he is those things, his love is such that he loves us so much that he'll do what it takes to, to buy us out of the slave market of sin, but he's just not going to say, okay, your sins are okay. You know, it's okay for you to do whatever sin you want because I'm, I'm just going to forgive you. That's not God. Yeah, that's not God. That's not the way he behaves. It's like he is so righteous and holy that he's going to demand that we are holy and righteous and he's going to help us to get there, which was what we talked about this morning. Is that he strengthens us to be able to live that way. And David's biggest attitude toward God is, God, you are righteous. And upright are your judgments. You know, your, your judgments are correct. When God makes a judgment on something... It is correct. And this is something for us to really begin to understand. We as humans always have to wonder, is any judgment we make good or bad? Because we will never know everything there is to know about something. And certain people are better than others to make decisions that are based on whatever little information they have. Most people who are good managers, they make very quick decisions. Because you have to make decisions as a manager, so you take what information you have and you make a decision. And sometimes that's not good either because we make decisions quicker than most people and before enough facts are in at times. And, but God knows everything. Any decision he makes is based on complete, absolute knowledge. And so, and his knowledge goes even before we've done it. He knows what we will do. So when we talk about complete knowledge, we're talking about he knows what I've already done, what I'm thinking about doing, and what I will do in the future when he makes his decision about my activities. Now, we don't know anything like that. We barely know what is going on right this moment. And we might have some implications of what has already gone on. But we never know everything there is to know. But he says, your judgments are upright. Why? Because they're based on complete knowledge. And this is something that we need to be able to keep in mind as we go forward on this, that knowledge is going to be based on complete knowledge. So he is always upright. Your testimonies that you have commanded are righteous and very faithful. His testimonies, and again, we've talked about what is a testimony? It's what you say about what you know, all right? If you give testimony in a courtroom, you're giving a testimony on, what, on something that you're supposed to know something about. Otherwise, you wouldn't be called in to be a witness. And it says, your testimonies, God, that you've commanded are righteous. God's commandments, God's testimony is always going to be based on his righteousness. And then I love this and are very faithful. Faithful means established, strong, secure. When God gives a testimony, it can't be shaken. All the different courtroom shows that, that, we, that people watch, you know, the whole purpose of the opposing attorney, attorney is to get that testimony to be shaken. Get them to say something that's not quite true or contradictory to what they've already said or to make them look like a liar in some way. When God gives his testimony, it cannot be shaken. Now, he's the creator of all things, and 
but nothing is going to shake his testimonies. 139, my zeal has consumed me because my enemies have forgotten your words. You know, we think about the word zeal. It's not a word we use a lot in this, in our day and age uh, with most people. So the word zeal, it literally means to be jealous, ardor, have great ardor. You're, you're really actually wanting something to happen when you're zealous for something. One of the one of Jesus' disciples was a zealot. He was looking to free Israel from Roman oppression, which is kind of interesting that he had a zealot on one Jesus. One of Jesus' disciples was a, a, a zealot for Israel's freedom from Rome. And then he had Levi, a tax collector for Rome. <laughs> well, Matthew is Levi. You know, so he had both extremes and said, okay, guys, get along. Uh, you know, this, is, this is the kind of thing when, when we look at it. When we think about Saul of Tarsus, he was being very zealous for the Jewish religion to get rid of Christianity. Because Christianity, as, as he saw it, was the enemy of Judaism. And he was trying to get rid of it. So he was very zealous. He was going out and he's actively going out to make something happen. Oh, many. Yep. Opposite. Opposites. But we look at this and he says, my zeal. Now, zeal does not have to be a bad thing. You know, I was talking this morning that, you know, if we could get our people basically zealous enough to go out and pass out two tracks, you know, each week, if each, everybody passed out two tracks, that'd be 50 tracks a week in our church, basically. You know, uh, you know, 200 a month and 2,400 in a year. Two tracks. There's 20 some people in this. Yeah, 20, 25 people. Population. <laughs> That'd be much more than our sounds population. But if we could get people zealous enough to just give out two tracks, how many people would be reached for the gospel just by being zealous for God's word? And we, we've got to keep this in mind. God wants zeal for his for for him, toward him. Maybe not three today. <laughs> but it says my zeal has consumed me, has eaten me up, because my enemies have forgotten your word. Now, this is kind of an interesting thought. <laughs> because his enemies have forgotten God, he gets more zealous. Is that the way we normally react? Sometimes. I would hope that it is. I really would want us to get to the place where we're just so zealous for God that we get bold. Bold for God. Because it is easy to just slip back and say, well, God, everybody is leaving you behind, so I'm going to be quiet and not talk about you. And worst thing that can happen to us, and yet that is what's happening in our world, there are many Christians who won't say a word about God outside of their church because they're afraid of the attacks as people have left God. And it is getting to a place where people can lose their jobs because they speak out against something or say something about God. 
But you know, if our job is that frail in the first place, we probably shouldn't be there. In the early church, the, the Christians banded together and shared everything they had. Why? Not because the Bible believes in socialism, which is what the liberals try to teach us. See, that's, they'll point to that. They go, that's it. The, the Bible taught socialism. No. The Jewish church banded together because when they became a Christian, or a follower of the way at the time, then they were basically treated as if they were dead. People wouldn't come to their businesses, wouldn't let them shop at their businesses. They had to work together and say, okay, I've got this, you've got this, you've got this skill. Together we can live. And that is what they did. They, there may be a time if we live long enough and per persecution starts hitting us in a, in a major way that we as Christians will have to go, okay, you own your house. I'm losing my house because, of, because I had it up, dead up to my ears. You own your house, but I'm going to come in because I can, I, I can bring a gift of gardening or organization or cooking or I do still have a job right now and I can help supply some of the, you know, there may be a time when we come together and say, we need each other just to live because of the persecution that will come our way. And so when those kind of things happen, we will do what it takes to, to make, make things happen, just as the Jewish church did. Paul, if we remember, I talked about it in one of our Sunday mornings that Paul went around, and what, one of the things that he did while he was on his mission trips is he took up a collection to take back to Jerusalem, especially his last one. He went back to all the churches and he collected money to take back to Jerusalem so the Gentiles would help the Jewish Christians, which really blew their minds because he was helping them and it was the, the Gentiles, the one that would never have thought of helping them. So we see this, our zeal should be even intensified when there's an enemy out there rejecting God's word because it says, my enemies have forgotten your words. You know, it's kind of an interesting time that we live in. There are so many people out there that don't know anything about the Bible. It's quite amazing sometimes. You, there's been times when I've made a reference, even, even among some of our Sunday school classes and stuff, I make a reference to something, and people will look at me like, what story are you referencing? And it was very funny when I went back to college and I took an English class, and we were reading, we were reading something in the class, and it was a quote from the Bible. It was a quote to a Bible story. And the people were going, well, I think it means this. I think it means that. I think it means this. And the teacher wasn't correcting them. And I'm going, how about if I read you the source of this quote? And you'll know what it means. <laughs> they go, you know where it comes from? I'm going, yes. As I pull out a Bible and I read to them. <laughs> you know. We have all kinds of things going on in our world right now where people do not know anything about God's word. And we as Christians need to be able to understand that. When we're talking to somebody and we talk to them about God, we have to define who God is in many cases. Because there are many people that don't know who you're talking about. You know, there are people in the prison that if I talk to them and just talk to them about God... They're going to be thinking some other God altogether. Why? Why? Well, let's see. You've got the 
Muslim, Muslims that, that worship Allah. You've got the group that is worshiping uh, Thor. The Norse god. Somebody's worshiping him? Oh yeah, all the time out there. There's a whole, there's a, about Thor. He's a son of Odin uh, in, the Nor in the Norse uh, mythologies. And he's also a comic book character? No, no, we're talking about the god Thor. No, I know. Not the comic book, but the god. <laughs> but it's just as stupid as, as uh, well. which one would you worshiping? The real one or the thing in the but you've got to understand, in our day and age, that's what's happening. I know it is. If you talk to a Hindu person, you need, to know, number one, to find which of their thousands of gods they're worshiping. Because they have a whole pantheon of gods under Hinduism. Huh? Many gods. And so we've got all of this thing. When we start talking to people, what god are they worshiping? In America, you might even be calling themselves Christian and not worshiping God. Because we've, we talked earlier, most people's mythology about, about God in America is God is love. He's not righteous and holy. He's just love. And love is just one of his many attributes that has to be kept in balance with everything else. So we need to be very careful. When Paul preached, he had to define who God is in most cases. Uh, there's been evangelists who will talk about going to go to China to preach or, or, or Japan or any, any place that doesn't know our God. And they go, and their interpreters will tell them, when you say God, I have to define to them that you're talking about the all-powerful creator of the universe that is greater than any other, any other being. That's how, they're, that's how they're defining God when they... <laughs> Interp when they interpret God to, for them. Because when they say God in those environments, they, who knows what they're thinking of? We're in this very un-Jewish, is probably the best way to say it, environment. When Peter and James and those guys were talking to primarily Jewish populations, if they said God, everybody knew who they were talking about. In America, for almost 200 years, you could say the word God, and everybody knew who you were talking about. It wasn't, well, you might be talking about Thor or Zeus or, or Poseidon or, or Allah or, you know, you know, Krishna or any of these other people. You were talking about the God who created all things. And nowadays, when you say the word God, you need to make sure that you're defining God. The other side of the coin is even, even if you're talking to people about Jesus, you better make sure you're talking about the same Jesus. You mean they have other Jesus they think? We know that Jesus is the Son of God who was resurrected and is God. Now, there's another group who will be, well, there was a Jesus, maybe, and he was just a historical figure. So you may be talking, they're closer to us. You've got the Mormons who believe that Jesus is the brother of Lucifer and who are the sons of God, and they, he's just not really that big a deal. You know, you've got all kinds of different things that you need to make sure you're talking about, especially if you talk about to people in the cults, because they use the same language we use, but have different meaning behind their words. And this is why when people talk, say all the right words for Christians, you'll go, well, they were really a wonderful Christian. 
and you start going, but if you dig into what does that mean? What do, what do you mean when you say that? Who is that? What are you saying? You'll find out that they're thinking totally different than we are. And why we need to be very careful. Are we talking the same language? And have you ever talked to somebody and you come, you walk away and you think, uh, were, were, we seeing, were we even speaking the same language? It didn't seem like we were communicating any, any point in our, in our conversation. And that's because you weren't. <laughs> They were thinking one thing, you were thinking something else. And we need to be careful with this because the further people get away from God and his word, the harder it is to communicate. Verse 140, your word is very pure, therefore your servant loves it. Yeah, this, is, this one is special to me because I love God's word so much. And it says your word is very pure. And this word for pure is refined. Uh, and it's the idea of been smelted down to purity completely. When you've taken your, your ore and you've refer, refined it down and, and you've purified every bit of it out. And it says your word is very pure. Therefore... And, any, and we've talked about it. When you see the word therefore, find out what it's there for. And it's an old joke, but it really is true. You know, when you see the word therefore or but, but is a negative con con conjunction. So when the word but is there, you're looking for what is changing. What are, you, what are you saying the contrary to? So when we see the word therefore, it says your servant loves it. You know, do you love God's word so much because it's pure? It's desirable. I love to get into God's word. I love to share God's word. I love to talk about God's word. You know, it's just, why? Because it is just so special to me. And I don't know what brought me into it. I have been in love with God's word from the very beginning. And I've shared with you, I got saved when I was 10 years old. And by the time I was 11, I was taking a correspondence course on the, on the Bible. It was for kids. I, when I finished all of their correspondence courses, I started working on my Moody Bible Institute college courses at the age of 14. You know, I'm sure the professors did not realize that my, <laughs> who they were dealing with a 14-year-old, but I loved his word. I wanted to get every bit of his word that I could. And here David said, your word is so pure, therefore I love it. I can't even imagine getting by life without his word being stuck completely into my life. And so many people that I meet, you know, you know, who think they're educated and will tell you, you know, God's word has got problems in it or this, that, or the other thing. It's mythologies. It's, it's got contradictions. Yeah, and I've always, it's never bothered me. I challenge those people. Prove your statement. Prove that it's a mythology. Prove that it's got contradictions. Whatever they're telling me, prove it. Because they can't. They won't be able to. And, and I know that they can't. I know that everybody who tries to disprove it will find out that it's true. And that if they really research things, they'll find out that God's word is true. And so it is pure. It is so loving. And you know, I also understand for those who are not Christians... They will never understand the truth of God's word. It just, it just doesn't happen. 
God's word is spiritually in, included. And when, once, you, once you get saved, it starts opening up in all kinds of avenues. And then you get a teacher who teaches you a little bit here, a little bit there, and it opens up even more. And it's wonderful as it opens up. And I've shared with you, I have a hard time just trying to read the Bible anymore. You know, uh, going through, trying to read my daily reading, and I'm going, oh, wow, I think I remember this thing, or who is this person? And I end up studying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I can't just read it any, hardly anymore. And I'm going, okay, yeah, I know who that is. You know, and I, keep, I can go. But sometimes I'm going, I vaguely remember this person, and then I've got to go find out who they are. You know, follow all kinds of rabbit trails. <laughs> you know, chase the rabbits all over the place, <laughs> which sometimes I don't have time for. You know, it's like, what am I doing on this? I've got to get back to the study. I've got, I've got a class to teach uh, tomorrow. I've got, to get back on the, I've got to get back on target. But, you know, there's just so much in God's word. And, you know, you all know that I love the genealogies. I love to get into the genealogies and, and see how everything is tied together and everything. You know, and, you know, when I tell people that, they go, you would, you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but there's so much fun. There's so much information in all these different places that you get into. And you, and you see his word coming alive and you fall in love with it. Verse 41, I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. And this is kind of interesting. You know, I'm not sure how small David was at this point in time. You know, it's, uh, he's going, in, you know, saying I'm insignificant. And again, he's king, so I don't know again how <laughs> insignificant he is. And says, I'm despised, I'm, in a, I'm vile, I'm worthless. And in one sense, David did believe this one, if, especially if this is after Bathsheba's event and the murder of Uriah. And David started really seeing himself for what he was capable of. And David had a pretty interesting life, as we all know. And he started out young and following God, killed Goliath, you know, with his great faith in God. And then he got a little power and drifted a little ways away from God. But he still loved God with all of his heart in many cases. He brought the, he brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem in preparation for the temple that he wanted to build and celebrated the presence of God being returned. You know, celebrated. You know, it's... If you read that story, you know, take all the different sources of that story and put them all together, you know, it's an amazing thing. If I recall correctly, it was every 15 feet he would offer, he would stop the, the whole procession and the whole parade and, and have a sacrifice made, you know, and then go another 15 feet and have a sacrifice. You, know, you think about all that he was doing and how much he loved God and wanted to honor God. And we how many of us have that much love for God that we would stop everything we're doing just even if it, to offer a song to him? You know, it's, we, we sometimes get so wrapped up in our life that we forget God. And it's so easy to do, especially in our day and age. Uh, listening to somebody preach this morning, he was, he was pulling out his cell phone. He goes, there's a really phenomenal feature on everybody's cell phones. Every cell phone, no matter what brand it is, has this wonderful feature on it. And he pulls this out and he goes, it's right here on the side. You push this button. And then you push this little button here that says off. 
But you know, in our world, we laugh about that, but in our world, we are so overloaded with information and things. You know, we have to be in contact with everybody all the time. What is the excuse parents will use that their seven-year-old needs a phone? Well, just in case I have to get hold of him at school. Well, I hope you know where your kid is. They're supposed to be in school. If you have that big an emergency, you call the office and have a message given to your kid. You know, you don't need to call your kid directly and interrupt the whole class. But you know, and let's take this further. People on Facebook, Twitter, whatever the other things there are out there, Instagram and all these other things. There are people who live on these things. I'm getting ready to go to the store. I am at the store. I am buying such and such. Uh, I am now talking to so-and-so who I met at the store. Yeah. Uh, if you follow anything on some of these things, you'll see just that. Their whole life is listed on the phone, and everybody needs to know who, what you're doing with, every, with everybody out there, and then everybody else is doing the same thing, and you've got to keep track of what they're doing. How much time are we really spending with God if all of our time is trying to be spent knowing what everybody else in our, in our circle of potential friends is doing? And I'm not totally derailing these things. They've got a good side to them, but... They have a huge bad side to it. But we look at this and we say, how much time is being stolen from God? Yes. From our phones. How much time is being stolen from God from our television shows? How much time is being stolen from God from any activity that we do? And that's not saying that every activity is bad, but if it's taken to an extreme, it takes time away from God. Which is why God got me to get rid of football for the most part, because that's a three-hour block. Well, for me, it was nine-hour block on Sundays, because I used to watch all three games. You know, six to, six to nine-hour block of time where I wasn't doing anything for God. And basically, his question to me was, do you want to spend all your time with football, or do you want to spend time with me? There's nothing wrong with football. There's lots of good things about technology, but technology can also be of great... Pretty much. Because everything is technology for all practical purposes. The printing press created books. And the first books off the printing press were Bibles. And somebody like Martin Luther did a great job putting pamphlets out. He, you know, Martin Luther could not have done what he did with the Reformation before the printing press was in existence because he did most of his work by creating books and pamphlets and when they all had to be handwritten, it would have never have happened. But he gave all the rights to his booklets away. He never collected a penny for them because he wanted people to get his religious materials. Could not have done the Reformation without the printing press having been created when it, when it was created. And, but now look at all the garbage that also comes off of printing presses or, or the equivalent of printing presses. You know, we got all kinds of garbage off of them as well. You know, computers, wonderful tools for studying the Bible and to, to grow with God, and yet can be used for the most horrific garbage out there. Entertainment, same thing, can be wonderful tools for getting God's word out. And, but how much garbage is put out there at the same time? You know, and we've got to be very careful about what it is we spend our time paying attention to. Because whatever you fill your mind with is what's going to come out. 
We've shared this many times. I tell people, if you're going to study cults and other religions, whatever amount of time you spend studying those, you spend an equal amount of time in God's Word to help try to wash out the garbage. And I would say the same thing. If you're going to be somebody who's living on TV, spend that much time in the Bible. Of course, you'd run out of time. But if you're going to spend three hours on TV, spend three hours in God's Word to help out. Because it is critical, what do we feed our spirit on? It will come out. We wonder why we have so much violence in our world right now. And, the, and they'll always go, well, it's, you know, we've got all these things going on. What's wrong with our it, it, people? Well, let's see. We feed them on violent movies. We feed them on violent shows. We feed them on, on all these uh, cops and robbers things where people are being shot all the time. We give them games to, to grow up where they get to do nothing but shoot up everything and, and crash everything. We give them movies that are this way. And then we wonder why they're violent. Tell them they can't have God's word. Can't pray to God in school, can't, can't know anything about God, and then we wonder why there's so much violence. Is there anything necessarily wrong with all of that stuff? Not necessarily, but a full steady diet with nothing to balance it out is terrible. And it's going to create depressed, angry, vicious people. Garbage in, garbage out. Garbage in, garbage out. We, we put them in, in schools and we tell them you're nothing but an evolved animal and then we wonder why they act like animals. This is the problem that we have. What are we feeding ourselves with? And this is why I am so adamant about we preach the word of God, we teach the word of God, we, we help bring everything about God's word up and try to keep God's thoughts in our mind to go forward. And then it says, I am small and, and perished, Yet, I do not forget your precepts. Precepts we've covered many times. They're the, the rules that God gives us that, it, that are to be limiting or changing our activities. Okay, What are precepts? Just God's word. <laughs> the way we're supposed to act. <laughs> In its most simple des description, the way we are supposed to act. But this is what precepts are. They're just a way of thinking. This is where God teaches us where to think. And he puts his precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little, precept upon precept, the way he asks us to think. This is why it's important to get into his word. Because his word, little by little, changes the way we act and think. Just little by little. Enemy knows it's the same thing. Why, why is the enemy using entertainment to change our way of thinking? Because he knows a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here, a little bit there changes the way we think. And that's why it's so vile. You know, it's kind of interesting to watch some of the old shows, which I have, as I've said are, really weren't that great in them of, of themselves, and then watch a new show and compare the two. I and mean, slightly bad show against an awful bad show. <laughs> you know, I, I went for a period of time for oh, probably six or seven, eight years without watching any TV. Because when we moved to Guam, Super Typhoon Pamela had gone through and there was no TV to watch. Uh -huh. We all had TVs, but there was, it was long before satellite TV and everything, so there was no TV to watch. The station had been blown, blown down. <laughs> okay, the, to the tower, I guess, not the station, but the tower had been blown down, so it took them a long time. And by the time we put up the tower, we weren't interested in watching TV anymore. Then I came back to the States, and I still didn't watch TV for a long time. 
it shocked me with an eight-year gap in television to see the garbage that was on TV. You know, because I hadn't had, I had eight years where I hadn't seen the incremental climb, and then all of a sudden I'm going, whoa, what are these shows, you know? You know, and we, we kind of lose how the incrementalness of this thing happens. You know, if somebody was to be transported from the 40s or 50s into our day and age and see TV as it is now, they would be probably have a heart attack because of how bad it is, because it really is bad. And yet, because we've grown up with the awfulness of it, we don't really see it. Sometimes we see it. There's still things that will shock us, but not near as, not the shock that we should be having when we see all this garbage that's on TV. And it says, I won't, I'm not going to forget your precepts. I'm not going to do that. And this is very important for us to not forget. 142 says, your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and your law is the truth. And this word for truth is firm and reliable. So it says, your righteousness is everlasting. God's righteousness is always going to be the same. He does not change. And this is why Christians right now and have so much trouble with the world. The world wants to go, well, you're, the world has evolved. You've got to change. You're, the morality has evolved. You've got to change. And go, no, God has not changed. What he says is sin is still sin. Whether you want to say that it's sin is not my problem, it is still sin. And this is why we're going to run into the problems with the people that are in fornication living together. Well, the rest of the people have no problem. What's wrong with you Christians? And the sad thing is, how many denominations are starting to say those things are okay? And they're really making it hard for those of us that are holding on to God's word and being part of the remnant because now they're pointing out to, well, this group over here has no problem with it. This group over here has no problem with it. What's wrong with you? Well, if they want to forget God's word in the Bible, that's their problem, not my problem. When, when homosexuals will come up and they'll say, well, this denomination and this denomination have no problem with it. There's going to be people that are living together. They're going to have a problem with it because of, because of it. But this is the thing that we're looking at right now. As we stand firm with God, we're going to get greater and greater pushback from the world. Because the world is, with this whole thing of evolution, and, and if evolution is true for, for animals, and, and it isn't, of course, but their thought is if it's true for animals, it's true for morality, it's true for law, it's true for government, it's true for the world. And you've got to understand Evolution is becoming a major problem in all areas. In the 1850s, Harvard changed from God's law and based law on truth to case law or evolution. We're now hearing it, well, everything is changing. You have to be ready to change. Morality is changing. You have to, I'm going to stick with God. I'm going to stay firm. I'm going to stay strong with God because everything is is in a flux and it's all satanic in the, in the, in the long run. It's all him in the, behind the scenes. And our whole world is trying to say, well, everything is, everything is changing. There is, no, there is no absolutes anymore. 
And we've got to be careful because that's such a dangerous place to be. God is absolute. God is absolutely righteous. He is absolute love. He is absolutely holy. He is absolutely just. And he has absolute standards. And we need to keep that in mind because it's going to be what changes. His righteousness is everlasting and his law is true, stable, firm, steadfast. It's not changing. God didn't say, well, I gave you these rules 4,000 years ago and you can do whatever you want now. Now, he, he didn't give us the 10 suggestions. to these, these will probably be good for you. He gave us 10 commandments on how we're to live. 613 laws according to the Jewish scribes and Pharisees. And I would believe it. I found, I've never started counting, but I, I would believe there's at least that many in there. So... Many times in the book of uh, Judges. <laughs> over and over and over. And that's what we're talking about right here. People are deciding, oh, God's old fashioned peace just hasn't come up to the times. We'll just change it. He hasn't yeah. evolved. He hasn't evolved. Yeah. Nothing new under the sun. No. And this is, uh, this is the thing I keep bringing us to. That what we're going through today is not new. It's gone through over and over again. It's been through the Bible many times. If you go through history, it's gone over many times. People doing what they think is right and God having to bring just judgment on them. God, judgment is coming. Whether, whether it is the final judgment and we're that close or there's somewhere further down the road, who knows? I think we're close to the last judgment, but God is the one who's in control. And we're going to see what's going to happen. He will bring judgment for everybody doing what's right in their own eyes. And this is where we're at. No, no absolute rules. Doing what's right in your own eyes. This was neat because back then, like God never changes. But even back then, it was totally different now. I mean, you think, well, God's changed because he was that way here. Now it's misery. But it's just amazing that he knew all along that how things were going to be. Yeah. That's just amazing how the the only thing that really changes is how it's delivered. Yeah. Yeah, how the how the instance is delivered. Pornography has always been in existence. The way it's delivered is different now than the way it was delivered in Roman days. Uh, Romans just built statues of, that were pornographic and had all kinds of it, pornographic entertainment that was live and, and real. We have it more video and, and ca camera. You don't have to go to where it's happening. It can be broadcast into your home, which is slightly different, but it's the same problem. It's the same distance. Same, same issues going on. So we have to be very careful. There's nothing new happening. All the problems in government have always happened. Matter of fact, we get to read lots of them that happen in the scriptures. It could be happening today. And that's what, like, even when they say, which is really weird, I never thought they would say, he mentions highways. And like, I think it, they didn't have no highways back then. Well, they had all kinds of highways and roads, yeah. They didn't have eight lane highways with cars going all directions, but. 
yeah. But it, it's an amazing thing that, you know, so many people think, oh, we have so many new problems, we have so many new issues. They're just the same issues that have always existed. The sins are all the same. Even religion, all the new religions that are supposedly coming out are just recycles of older religions. And it's, it's nothing new. Even religions are not new. Satan is not a creator of new stuff. He recycles his old stuff. He gives them new names and puts them out. We just have to keep in mind all of what we're going through is nothing new. It's all happened in the past. And fornication, adultery, all the different sexual pornography, pornographic activities are all old. They've always been going on. Government being corrupt has been going on since Nimrod's day. <laughs> okay, corrupt government trying to get all power and, and abuse other people has been going on forever. Mistreating your own family goes right back to the very original family. Cain kills his brother out of jealousy. You know, we see over and over everything that we go through in this world is, is just always been the case. And this is why when people go, well, the Bible's old-fashioned. Well, you know, as you said, sometimes you read it and you go, you would swear if you took the names and modernized the names and, you know, you, and used today's people and places, nobody would know the difference. If you just changed the place and made it a modern, modern city and modernized the names, you'd go, oh, okay, yeah, that happens all the time. Well, I just read you the story of Samson and Delilah. You know, it's, <laughs> I just changed the names. <laughs> Or the intrigue and the palace intrigues that we've read. You know, the book of Esther. You know, you want to, you want to talk about intrigue and love and change their names and give it, give it a today's storyline and you'd have a wonderful story that would make a wonderful movie and nobody would know it was the story of Esther. I like Ruth. Now, Ruth is a great... That one is a little harder because it's so much about the kinsman redeemer and everything. It's a great love story, but it kind of gets lost in the, in the cultural things if you don't know them. But, you know, all of these things in the scripture just keep happening over and over again. Sometimes we hear these things, uh, sociologists have just conducted this study and they've said such and such, and you're going, well, you could have saved yourself millions of dollars and just gone straight to the Bible. <laughs> you know, the Bible says just that. And you could have saved a whole lot of money. You could have saved a lot of money just going back to the scriptures instead of having to run these tests to prove that God knew what he was talking about when he gave us the Bible. And yet people will go, well, we never heard these things before. Well, open your Bibles. <laughs> Study. 143. Trouble and anguish have taken hold on me, yet your commandments are my delights. Problems, troubles, straits, anguish. Now, how much time do we sometimes spend paying attention to the wrong things in our life? Too much. <laughs> Usually too much. And it says, yet your commandments are my delights. But how easy is it for us to get wrapped up in our day-to-day -day lives? You know, and beyond that, God says, cast all your cares upon him, but what do most people do? They spend all their time worrying about their problems and making the problems bigger, obsessing with them. And the more you think about it, the more the bigger the problem becomes and the more you draw in all the other things. We need to be so careful with this. Yes. Because it's been said that 90% of what you worry about doesn't happen anyway. 
So you end up spending all this time and energy worrying about things that will never happen. And you know, the body does not respond well to worry and stress. You've wasted time. You've put your body under extreme stress. You've put your emotions under stress. You've wasted all of this effort, time, health, and you could have been spending it with God, who actually can do something about, the, about what you were worrying about if it was going to be real in the first place. But David is actually saying that trouble and anguish have taken hold, have taken hold of him. But he says, yet your commandments are my delight. Now, how many of these psalms have we covered where David starts in the bottom pit of his emotions and ends up by the end of the psalm, God, you are wonderful, you are great, you are fantastic. You know, God, I'm really a miserable, terrible thing, and oh, God, you are really wonderful and good. And the point that we're making is, where is our focus on? Am I focused on my problems and, and issues that, are, that I have no control over? Or am I focused on the God who can give me control, who is in control and can, can control my life and for me? And this is why, you know, we all know people who are, who are professional worriers, and if they don't have enough to worry about, they'll find somebody else's problems to worry about. I've had lots of people come up to me because I don't want to worry. They'll, they'll worry for me. The example we gave you when we were down in Tucson with no car, we had all kinds of people worrying about how we were going to get home. You know, all kinds of people, how are you going to get home? We've got to worry, but we've got to figure out how you're going to get home. And well, God's got that in control. You know, but, you know, we need to get away from, you know, we, we laugh about that, but it really is not good to be, be that way. No. Cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. God's got broad shoulders. When you cast your cares on him, he goes, okay, this one's not important, that one's not important, that one's, okay, you got one, oh, you got one out of 500 that is, that is important. Let me help you with this one. <laughs> But you know, he cares for us so much. I believe in my public Sunday school class, every, all constantly, don't I, Sharon? I added to my morning prayers, please supernaturally protect me today. And I truly believe God supernaturally, don't I tell you that's part of my prayer, that I really believe that God supernaturally protects you. He does. It's so important for us to understand that God really has everything under control. And you know, the more we believe that he is in control, the less we're going to worry. This is my statement, and I've shared this with you. When things are going wrong, God, I don't understand this, but you're in control, and all things work together for good, so I am just going to trust in you. I don't spend the next three days worrying about what I, what's happening in my life and how I'm going to get out of it. Now, God did that with me. He spent 10 years trying to get me, eight to 10 years trying to get me out of that, and he finally, it worked. A very slow learner sometimes, but it worked. All right, the last verse in this section. Verse 144, the righteousness of your testimonies is everlasting. Give me understanding and I shall live. God, you are righteous. Your testimonies are everlasting. Help me to understand them, discern them, un be able to, to know them. And I shall live. I shall be literally quickened, made alive. Are we teachable for God? You know, are we willing to learn what he is trying to teach us? And this is so important for us. To learn discernment is a 
or actually to be able to learn to listen to the Spirit, because we don't learn discernment, we learn to listen to the Spirit. And the Spirit can keep you out of trouble so often. And when you want to, when you, when you think something is the right answer, everything looks good about it, but there's just that little twinge in the back of your head saying, it's not right. Don't go, don't go there. Don't do that. Have you ever disobeyed that still yeah, yeah. small voice yeah. in the back of your... Oftentimes you pay a very hard price for it. There's been many times when I've been talking to somebody and then everything they say sounds, seems okay, but there's this something's wrong, something's wrong. And then you listen long enough and all of a sudden they'll say that one little key word that all of a sudden lets you know what's wrong or, or you see them the next day and realize that they had a whole other plan up their sleeve you know, other than what they had talked about. We need to listen to the Spirit. And you know, the thing about the Spirit is normally the Spirit does not give you a large, loud, clanging bell or klaxon in your, in your, in your, in your brain the Holy Spirit speaks with a still, small voice. And it takes us back to what we started at the beginning. Are we quiet enough before God at times in our life to listen to the still, small voice? Or am I so busy with everything in my life that I don't listen? I'm as bad as everybody else. There's many times when I just am so busy I don't listen to the still, small voice. Or I'm not listening for the still, small voice. I'm just busy, busy, busy. You know, and we've talked many times, Jesus, everywhere he went, would stop oftentimes in the middle of what he was doing. He's going to go heal Jairus' daughter who's dying, and he stops <laughs> to heal the woman with the issue of blood. Oh, yeah. you know, he's on his way. He's on his way to something very important. Jairus' daughter's dying. And what's he do? Stops. <laughs> Jairus is probably having a conniption fit. <laughs> Jesus, my daughter's dying. What are you doing with this crazy woman? She'll live. He's on his way to Jerusalem, going through Samaria for some strange reason, <laughs> and talks to the woman at the well in Samaria. You know, and you've got to understand, going through Samaria was just crazy in the first place. That meant you were in a hurry to get to Jerusalem as a Jew because you, you would bypass Samaria if you had the time to do so. So he's going through something that says, I'm in a hurry. And then he stops. How many of us stop in the middle of what we're doing sometimes and do what God asks us to do? You know, you're driving by and somebody's stuck on the side of the road and you're, you're three miles down the road and you all of a sudden, man, I should have stopped and talked to that person. We're on our way to do something and it's, we're so busy, we're totally oblivious to anybody around us because I've got to get doing what I'm supposed to be doing. We need to be very careful about that. Jesus set the example oftentimes of stopping in the middle. We need to be able to look for the desire, be teachable, listen, keep our ears open. And by putting God's word in our heart, we will truly learn to live. That's what I've learned over the years. You know, sometimes these people who don't want to believe God's word, they think they're alive. They think they're doing things. But you know, the more we apply God's word into our life, the more we become alive the more life becomes real to us. I love getting into God's word and saying, wow, God, this is wonderful. I love to see God work in my life with others and just see, wow, this is just so wonderful. God, you are, you are great <laughs> because he's bringing life into our being. And just 
as I teach people and they start to learn and I get to see that life coming out in people, you know, it is wonderful to see God shining out in people and seeing the changed lives and having other people see that changed life as well. Because it is a great thing to, to hear how God is changing people and just to watch what's going on in people's lives. That's the greatest thing I see here at this church is how many people are coming alive for God as they're getting challenged to get deeper and deeper into God's word and let him come out of their life and just see the changes, the changes that are coming out in people's lives. And, and hear the testimony for so many. Oh, I used to think this way, and now for the first time ever, I, I, I'm seeing God, and it's becoming alive and real. It's just a wonderful thing for me as a teacher. You know, I know it's God doing it all, but it's fun just to see that God is using me to be able to bring people and, to him in a mighty way. And looking forward to how God will move outward as he moves some people out to other places and hear how they're able to impact in the world that they're in. Because it is a wonderful thing to see God change lives. And then watch that testimony. We're going to close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for today. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. We ask that you go forward with us today and keep us safe in all that we do. In your son's name, amen.